Hello Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to this very special spoiler podcast for The Dark Knight Rises. This isn't a review per se, for that you must download this week's Empire podcast proper, which includes an interview with Chris Nolan, or you can head to the Empire website for Nev Pierce's written take on Chris Nolan's trilogy Ender. Instead, this will be a discussion of some of the film's major talking points, and I'm joined by Nick Desemlian. Bat hello. <laughs> James Dyer. I am Empire's Reckoning. <laughs> and Empire's Bat Guru, Dan Jolin. Hello, Chris. Hello, Dan. Uh, now, we're not going to go freeform. Instead, we asked you for your questions, your theories, and your plot holes, and you sent them in in their droves. First one comes from Jack Gregson, and he says, After Bruce emerges from the pit, how on earth did he get back to Gotham? He was in a foreign land, had no money, the city was in total lockdown, he was gadgetless, and yet he just swaggers up to Catwoman and gives no explanation. How? Easy jet. <laughs> yes, clearly. <laughs> bad credit card. <laughs> so he uses a bad credit card to, to rent an easy jet plane. He's, this- a, he's a very resourceful man. With no passport and no money. And even if he had money, he wouldn't have money because he's bankrupt. Yes, but he has no money or passport mm. at the beginning of Batman Begins, and yet somehow he manages to yeah. travel the world uh, learning how to become a criminal or in order to fight crime. So he's very, very resourceful. He lives in the shadows of a cargo hold plane, presumably. Yeah. yeah. How does he get into Gotham then? A swims. He walks mm. across the ice. Yeah. Oh. More importantly, how does he find Selina Kyle, who's randomly talking to children on a bridge? Well, this is the thing about Batman throughout all three films. How does he find anyone at any point when people need him? You know, it's just, he just, there's, there's a moment in the Dark Knight where he's in one place, one, one minute, and then he knows when Harvey Dent takes that guy uh, from the, the, when Commissioner Gordon's apparently killed uh, at the, the funeral for mm-hmm. Commissioner Loeb. And uh, then Harvey Dent takes that guy, that nut job, and drives him away in the ambulance. And then he's about to kill him using the coin. Uh, you know, to, you know, decide whether he's going to kill him or not, and then Batman just turns up out of nowhere. How how does he know where Harvey Dent is? I believe they all have find my friends on their iPhones. They must do. They must do. <laughs> on a side note, I did enjoy the moment where Selina Kyle disappears. Uh, well, when talking to Batman, yes. he goes, "That's what that feels like." <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That was funny. That was good. And last moment, Notice sly he, humor. he keeps the Bat voice even when there's no one else listening. I love that. He's, yeah. he's, he talks to himself in, in the Batman voice. No, I love that because Batman is a distinct personality for yeah. him. Mm-hmm. The minute he puts a mask yeah. on, he's he's not Bruce. Yeah. Anymore, he's Batman, which is very different from pretty much any other mass superhero. When Tony Stark puts on the Iron Man armor, he's still Tony Stark. When Peter Parker puts on the Spider Man mask, he's still he's part of his personality is freed and he's a little bit more wisecracky, but he's still Peter Parker. But once Bruce Wayne does dons a mask, Bruce Wayne ain't there no more. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, okay, so second question: Do we, did we answer that? Well, I, I just think that there's, not, there's, no. there's there's a certain <laughs> level on which these films operate that you've just got to absolutely accept. They're they're not reality. I mean, you know, Nolan always aims to keep things as close as possible to reality because that's his style and that's his take on this universe. But they're not reality. I mean, Batman's going to turn up where he's going to be needed. That did bring me out of the film a little bit when he just randomly sauntered up to uh, Selina Kyle at this point because there's a few bits like that around this point in the film well my feeling is that he's set up so much stuff around Gotham clearly as the as the ending shows uh, that he might have been in Gotham for a day or so already so he might have yeah. had time to track people and he's yeah. very very good at it. he is the world's greatest detective yeah. after all so he, why, why wouldn't he know where Selena Kyle is sorted yes. um, tick. done tick tick <laughs> okay next question is from Daniel Gaze uh, and he says for the love of Batman please don't lend credence to the theories about the end cafe scene being all in Alfred's head it's not this isn't Inception this isn't a dream within a dream within a dream for a start Selina Kyle is there who Alfred had little interaction with throughout the film and therefore would certainly not imagine being with Bruce and then the next question is from Gary Hall he says my theory in the Dark Knight Rises ending is that Alfred was imagining Bruce there and was having a wish fulfillment daydream so 
A lot hmm. of this is this is gaining a lot of traction. This well, if you look Alfred very carefully at it. the table, you can see the top still spinning. <laughs> <laughs> very good point. Um, a lie, I'm guessing, uh, obviously. But uh, what do we think? I, I'm I'm very much in the it was not a dream camp. I, I'm, in fact, I'm a bit flummoxed that there is a there is a dream camp. I've got to say, when I saw it, I thought that Nolan was deliberately putting some ambiguity in there. I didn't think it was this clear cut. Maybe that's just me. I agree with Nick. I think there is some deliberate ambiguity. Um, I think he's almost deliberately riffing, riffing on the end of Inception in a way that he certainly has a feel of it. And Michael Caine's presence there in the way that he had that presence at the end of Inception. Um, but, I mean, you, you know, hold a gun to my head. Which way do I think it goes? I think I think he did survive. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are other clues at mm-hmm. the end there. Uh, for example, the clue about the autopilot. Yes. Um, I mean, Nolan, you know, the thing is, is what, what he's always done in his films is, you know, that kind of the, the illusionist kind of um, parallel where what he's doing is he's he's distracting in a way. He's, he's pointing you in a certain direction whilst actually showing you stuff as he's going along. So if you go back to his films, you can see all along what he's setting up. But at the time, you know, the first time you see them, you're looking where he wants you to look. So in this film, I think there are a lot of things that are set up very well. For example, the Talia reveal is actually mm. set up very well. If you go back to the film, you can see very clearly that uh, she's manipulating things. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she appears in places where she shouldn't, but you don't realise she was there until you go back and see the film again. Um, so in that sense, I think he's he's very much set up this this idea of Bruce. Uh, surviving at the end and uh, establishing Joseph Gordon-Levitt, John Blake as his successor. Absolutely. On a side note, but, do we think that they were a bit annoyed when they saw the Avengers and saw that this well, yeah. had kind of been done as the ending for well, a film already this year? So uh, the Avengers ends basically, uh, if you haven't seen the Avengers cover your ears, but uh, you have by now everyone has. Uh, the Avengers ends with a billionaire playboy hero uh, suddenly des- you know, deciding to take responsibility and saving the souls of, of millions of people uh, by flying a nuclear bomb away from the city. And, and then two months later, The Dark Knight Rises ends in exactly the same way. And they obviously both stole it from season two of 24, in which they did, George indeed. Mason rides a nuclear bomb into the desert. <laughs> awesome. He's Sander Berkeley always leads the way. I, I would say there are significant differences between the two endings. Just saying. In, in what way? They don't go Batman for didn't fly his nuclear bomb through an interdimensional rift. Also, no, true, true. Did we, anyone really think Tony Stark was dead, even for a second? Oh, of course not. Given that they'd already greenlit the next Iron Man mm. film. <laughs> yeah, ba- given that, that he was about to film it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Batman wasn't saved by a rampaging green monster. If he had been. If oh, you look closely at the end, Bruce Wayne and Selina Carla eating shawarma at the cafe. <laughs> <laughs> true, but um, the the one thing for me gives credence to the, the it was a dream theory is the fact that Batman is this great hero very heroic character uh, and there's a moment of noble self-sacrifice at the end where he flies this bomb away from Gotham um, but and then so we're meant to believe then and he fakes his death and leaves Gotham to deal with the fallout from a nuclear bomb because if the wind's blowing the wrong way then I'm <laughs> sorry in 20 years time there's going to be a lot of people with two heads running around the streets of Gotham uh, and or then also faces. about or two faces uh, or about a thousand psychotic criminals including we have to assume the Joker still loose on the streets of Gotham he just he just goes yeah I'm going off on holiday I'm going to, to, to live off the ill-gotten gains of a, a cat burglar well I presume he has offshore accounts it's a big assumption it's a huge assumption to make but I, I it's a bigger assumption to make that Bruce Wayne would, uh, Maybe they would the benefit from a life of crime so there you go. In but answer I to that, Chris, though, yeah. I, he, he has set up a successor, hasn't he? The idea that the, that the Batman can continue without Bruce Wayne. Yes, but a Batman with no training. 
But technically, he Bruce has Wayne trained. trained for years to become Batman. Well, okay, John Blake isn't League of Shadows, you know, trained. Yeah. But uh, but I would say he uh, earned his stripes. He certainly has earned his stripes. Yeah. But uh, I, I still think you know, is it is it a bit cowardly of Bruce Wayne if he's still alive? I don't know. I'm just saying, you turn your back on your on your city when it's being devastated by nuclear fallout and bad guys. But anyway, I, I personally Selena just, I says cannot, you've given enough, and he says I, not everything, not yet. That's true. Maybe he has. That's the time he goes. You know what? That's it. Maybe he has. But anyway, I just cannot believe it. I think people are, are, are wanting to see a Trixie, it was all a dream ending because of Chris Nolan's past work. I think this is a very, very straightforward ending. Batman, Bruce Wayne, fakes his death. He sends messages to his confidants. So obviously he shows up in front of Alfred mm-hmm. in Florence, uh, which, you know, Alfred tips off very early in the film. Uh, he sends a message to Commissioner Gordon in the, the form of the fixed bat signal, yeah. uh, which means Gary Oldman's last shot in this trilogy is basically him capering on like an egg and clapping his hands. I'm so happy. Uh, he sends the bag with the coordinates to the bat cave to, to John Blake uh, or Robin. And he, uh, he, he repairs the autopilot on the mm. bat mm. for Lucius Fox. So the signals are there. I mean, it's very, very clear that he's mm. planning to be alive and he's planning to still be alive and, and, and tell people he's alive. I honestly don't see the, the, the dream thing at all. I just think it's, maybe the implication is that it's not so much a dream as just wishful thinking by Alfred. <laughs> the, the, the rambling hallucinations of an old man. <laughs> OK, I don't quite see that. But OK, fair enough. It, it seems to be uh, gaining some momentum, that theory. Mm. Um, OK, Amanda... It's good I think it's good. I mean, you know, that it's not so just clear-cut and this is what it is and people are able to bring their own interpretations and thoughts to it and see different things in it. And that's that's why we love Nolan's film, isn't it? Films, good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next up, Amanda Bostock says, uh, her first point was the Talia Bane revelation. Given how prominent Bane had been up until that point and how well he'd been put forward as the villain, I felt that the unfailing of Talia cheapened what the majority of the film so far had achieved. Also, Bane's death was a chronic waste. Thoughts? I don't know that it cheapened him. I think it, it felt a little anticlimactic the way he died, although it was a nice gag. It did feel a little bit... I thought oh, he was coming. Was I thought he was going to come back and yeah. and jump out of a manhole or something like that. Like it, Carl it, it, at the end of Die Hard. It didn't seem like the ending. Uh, you know, that you envisioned for him. No. Fits that guy who's this invincible. But the reveal did give rise to I think one of the nicest moments, which is that shot of Bane when she's fixing his mouth with the tears in his eyes, which I actually thought was quite a nice sort of moment of characterization for him. So I would have been sorry to not have that. And Tally's reveal echoes the first movie as well. Mm where we think the Scarecrow is the main villain and then yes. suddenly at the end those Al Ghouls are tricksy people they are very tricksy people and they hide in plain sight uh, Dan what was your take on this one? Um, I it's funny actually because uh, having done all the research for the for the feature and all done all the interviews and no one ever told me anything in terms of plot revelations but it was funny I'd kind of uh, figured it out before I saw it the first time um, so in a weird way I, I was I was I was sort of looking for it but trying not to look for it so when it did happen the first time I saw the film I, I, I actually didn't have the impact it should have on me uh, and that's you know that's my problem I was, bought that baggage it was I all out there baggage. anyway though wasn't it it well, was, it all was like, but I think I'd, of, I'd read yeah. the Robin thing and the Talia yeah, thing exactly. online about a year ago but most yeah. people aren't looking for that you know and I would think most people listening to this podcast wouldn't have wanted to look for that you know they don't the, we don't like spoilers we try to avoid it you know, in the position I was in, I, you know, it would have been remiss of me not to go seeking that stuff out. But the second time I saw the film, it's kind of like, I got it out of the way. Now let's just sit back and enjoy it, knowing what I know. And I loved the way the Talia revelation was handled. I referred to earlier about, you know, the clues that are dropped in along the way. You know, like, for example, when Gordon says to her, um, 
uh, she comes up and she offers, his, she offers her help to him and he gives her the little whatever the little Geiger counter thingy or whatever and she gives him the thumbs up it's in that truck mm. and then shortly afterwards he opens it and it's empty and you know, I, you know that's that's a big clue but I think a lot of people might not have even have spotted at that point yeah, yeah. or every time um, after Bane takes over Gotham she pops up shortly after the place is filled with League of Shadows people so um so yeah, she's obviously got some kind of panic button that she's using to call on them. So those special forces guys, she kills them. Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Um, but when you first see, it, you don't see that. There's there's even a wonderful shot of her looking out down on the street where the big battle's taking place, and you you see her face and you see sort of like guns behind her, it's sort of poking in the edge edge of the frame, as if to infer that she's you know she's being held hostage. But actually, if you look at it again, she's being flanked by her men. So so I really liked the way that was handled. Did it cheapen Bane? I don't know. I have no great love for the character in terms of its comic book heritage. So I, I only really treated it in terms of, of who he was in this film. It did remind me a lot of The, uh, the World Is Not Enough. In what way? Spoiler warning for The World Is Not Enough. <laughs> um, in the way it sets up Robert Carlyle as the bad guy who is a deadly man who is crippled uh, yes. in, a, in, a, in a strange way, except uh-huh. he's different. He doesn't feel pain, but he's slowly dying. Yeah. And then its big reveal is that uh, he's actually the henchman of the real villain who is the Bond girl who is Sophie Marceau. That's true. That is true. Um, who knew it would be so influential? Yeah. So there you go. And obviously the beginning of this film is very similar to License to Kill with the uh, two plane stunt. Although it's a helicopter and less to kill. That's true. That's true. There's, there's, other other, yeah. there's, a, there's a strong executive decision uh, vibe as well at the beginning of, of this movie. There always is. And cliffhanger, cliffhanger indeed. Who would have thought Christopher Nolan would be influenced by Bond movies? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen that, have we, in his work? Were there any other uh, Bond uh, touchstones in, the, in this movie? In this one? Um, well, talking about the opening section, it actually reminded me of The Living Daylights to some degree, which was another great aerial stunt. Yes, there's actually a moment just before Bond flies off where you see a pigeon do a double take. Before Bond flies off? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a massive crossover, is it? It is, yeah. All right, okay. But In one a, scene. There's a very important cameo, actually, at the very beginning of the film, and it's not Aidan Gillen. Okay, I'm going to bite. Who is it? It's Cardington Studios. Cardington Studios. Yes, yeah. They shot that very opening scene outside Cardington Studios. You can see two huge hangars behind the plane at the beginning of the film. Can you? And they're absolutely gigantic hangars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were originally built to uh, build uh, airships. Yeah. And uh, inside those hangars is or was I don't know the state of them now but uh, the Narrows from Batman Begins okay and they built the rotating hotel scene from Inception in there as well wow yeah so a big they old should totally open that up like the Harry Potter sort of thing yeah that, they should but I don't know I don't know Nolan world of, yeah I don't know whether whether the upkeep was, was uh, to the degree that it had been with the Harry Potter films they should have Jonah Nolan on standby just to bring people around show them you know be a, be a tour guide that'd be awesome uh, Bernard Kelly says John Blake's name being Robin was a bit silly. Oh, come on. That's just a gag. That's a good gag. I like a it. A gag too far? No. It's, it's, there's this whole thing with, with you know, the repeated phrase that, that comes up is, you know, look, viewing the Batman universe through the Nolan prism. You know, they talk about it with... <laughs> yes, I'm always yes, saying that. Yes, uh, You know, so Heath Ledger's Joker, you know, was through the Nolan prism and they've done Bane and they've done Catwoman now brilliantly, I should add, because we haven't talked about her yet. But, um, but yeah, this was just... How close can you possibly get to Robin in the Nolan verse of Batman? And this is about as close as you can get. So I kind of like that that little gag, you know. 
because they were never going to do Robin mm. and this was just their little kind of you know if we were that's who he was true would true, it have been but... slightly less heavy handed if he'd said his real name was Dick Grayson instead of my real name is Robin maybe maybe but um Again, he, you know, he and Warner Brothers don't just make these films for people that know the comic books inside out or remember the TV show say, from the yeah. 60s. You know, there are a lot of people out there, you know, uh, you know kids and, and, and fully grown people who, you know, don't know every aspect of the lore of this, of the canon, if you like. Mm. So, uh, but they know about Batman and Robin. So Robin so, is shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess this is the best way you could introduce a Robin. I mean, he doesn't do anything cheesy. He doesn't say, holy rusted metal, Batman, yes. at any point. He doesn't do anything stupid. Um, he is a little bit weak in the film at times, though. He doesn't really... I mean, he overpowers those two guys at the uh, con- at the building site. Mm, just. Just about, mm. uh, with, the, with the aid of a lucky deflection. Uh, and then he throws his gun away. Ah, I'm a cop. I've just killed someone. Ah, what is this? Um, but otherwise, he just tends to get overpowered. But which is my goes back to my earlier point is if this is the beginning of a... And we're going to discuss it now, I guess. Can you see a Joseph Gordon-Levitt-led spin-off? Or will it be a fourth oh. Batman? Not with Nolan at the helm, but with maybe... Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt I as Nightwing. Foundly hope not. You, you think not? I really you hope, hope not. not. It's going to be one of those things, isn't it? I, I mean, Dan, you may be able to answer this. I would have thought that they would have locked Joseph Gordon-Levitt into some kind of into a contract. <laughs> should they wish to do it, I'm, you can guarantee Nolan wouldn't do it. Uh, but since this is undoubtedly going to make quite a lot of money, they're going to have to be tempted, aren't they? Yeah, I don't. I I didn't take it as as um, being a sequel bait further sequel bait at all I just took it as a night it's just a neat ending yeah Bruce Wayne and Nolan's always said this this is Bruce Wayne's story he never said this This is the end of his Bruce Wayne story mm-hmm. he was quite specific he didn't actually say this was the end of his Batman story but um, I like the way that, that he's constructed it as a trilogy mm-hmm. about Bruce Wayne but left this note at the end to say that the Batman legend can continue even though Bruce Wayne is out of the game now and I just think that's all it's doing really um, and I, th- I think what you're saying there is absolutely right in terms of what we would like to think and certainly what Nolan would think. But given the cynicism of the studio money-making machine, mm. do you think they wouldn't have thought maybe there's a way to wring more dollars out of this franchise? I think they will, but mm. they'll just do it with another reboot. We can but hope. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think Warner Brothers um, has always been... Well, thus far, being very respectful of you know Nolan's creative vision, and you know, God knows that his creative visions have worked out well for Warner Brothers. So I can't imagine there being a kind of hey, you know what, you know, let's carry it on. The Batman legacy, even if Chris yeah. doesn't want to. But what would what would the Robin film be? Does he use gadgets? I don't know. He couldn't just use Batman's gadgets, could he? Well, that's the thing. I mean, Robin Mobile. There's there's no more money, is there? Really? Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, Lucius Fox, he could, he could still go to Lucius Fox because he knows that Lucius Fox knows about Batman and Bruce Wayne. But where's the money to, to fund all those incredible toys that he has? Who knows? It may not be a Batman film. Uh, we know that Robin in the comics becomes Nightwing, who's just as badass. In fact, he is Batman in the comics now, but um, they could go down that route. I kind of hope they don't. But it's very nice that the, at the end of the film, the last shot of the film is literally the new Dark Knight rising mm. as the platform brings Joseph Gordon Levitt up and out of shot very very nice little touch I thought Um, but yeah um, so Bernard Kelly also has a couple of other questions he says near the end when the orphans are on the bus looking at the bat fly off into the distance one of the kids is wearing a glove with a picture of a harlequin stitched into it are we meant to read anything into that is that a Joker reference is that the one Joker reference in the film or is it a harlequin no I don't think it is really Uh, I, 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 I didn't spot that myself 
Um, You've seen it twice now, yeah. Yeah, but I, I didn't. I, did, I totally didn't. Didn't spot that. To be honest, uh, I don't. I can't think that there's any significance there. And and if there was, then it would have been more obvious. Absolutely, it? Yeah, I think so. Harry Stanton wants to know what our favourite scene was from the film. His was the first fight between Bane and Batman. The whole audience gasped when they thought Bane had broken his back. Well, he did break his back but yes James you got a favourite one from this movie I, I did like that scene as well um, I think that's a really nice one it, it's it's an interesting one because Batman up until that point has been sort of the master of everyone he fights I mean he's an, an unparalleled sort of close combat fighter and Bane just shrugs off everything he throws at him um, and it's also interesting because you know that Batman is far from at the top of his physical condition uh, he's sort of weakened he's in pain he's got you know various cybernetics keeping him standing upright uh, and then he goes against this sort of machine who just beats him mercilessly uh, really nice and it makes it makes Batman feel more human I think that scene does so yeah I think that's mine too Dan uh, my favourite scene actually is a Selina Kyle scene mm-hmm. um, it's the one where she turns up at the bar with the was it senator or congressman I can't congressman yeah. congressman she turns up at the bar with the congressman uh, to, to do that deal um, and I just love the way she, you know, goes into action and takes out all those guys in that room. And you've got to remember, I mean, for Christopher Nolan, this this the characters are first. It's a woman who kicks men's asses. But my favourite specific bit is then when the cops burst in, when she just falls on the floor and starts screaming. Yes. And it's just that's just just a perfect interpretation of that character. She knows how to use her uh, sex and sexuality uh, to, to manipulate dumb men around her who yeah. are sort of like, you know, fueled with tos- testosterone and, and she just completely, the way she controls and manipulates that situation. She's I, so good. Yeah, and Could Hathaway I- is just absolutely brilliant I think could I just uh, give a great respect to the Gotham Police Department whose response time to a trace text message was less than one minute <laughs> astonishing <laughs> astonishing in force as well they yeah. were, maybe they were all running into a nearby sewer at the time <laughs> well it was a bar so perhaps that's where they were headed anyway <laughs> that wasn't the greatest bit of police work they, they, are, the key, they are the keystone yeah. cops <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bane's in the sewers let's send every cop in Gotham in if they see a dark foreboding tunnel they well, will all run into it well it's because Gary Oldman was leaving them it's who should we send every <laughs> and that was it. Uh, Nick, what was your uh, my favourite scene? scene was the arrival of Batman after the stock exchange sequence uh, when he turned up on the Bat Pod mm. and all the cops start chasing him. And yeah. I just thought that was incredible filmmaking. Yeah. Just the amount of, of police cars. It reminded me a bit of Blues Brothers. <laughs> um, I loved pipe, it. Pipe and, then, and then the, the Bat... It's not the Bat Wing, is it? It's just called the, the, just bat. the Bat. Yeah. The, bat. the first time you see that, that whole sort of 15-minute sequence... Amazing. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that Batman's reintroduction is is a very iconic one with the lights fading down and suddenly he comes out in the Batpod. Good sound effect, by the way. Uh, You're in for a show tonight, son. Absolutely, Brent Briscoe. There's a bit, Brent of, a tra- Briscoe. There's a bit of a tradition um, in the Nolan Batman films of policemen during chase sequences saying stupid things. Well, that's that's right. Running Cat, commentary. Nicky Cat in the, the Dark Knight. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's, that's a, a favourite of mine. Uh, that's a very Bond Bondian tradition. Mm. You know, you know, especially in the Roger Moore films. You know, there's there's a whole series of of stupid cops saying things. My favorite scene was a uh, Selena Kyle's introduction, where mm. she goes from being dowdy maid to oops, cat burglar in the, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's she's very very good. And then the end, the bit where Batman announces his return to Gotham, with the uh, when Commissioner Gordon lights a flare and ah, yeah. lights it up, and the bat symbol appears. Fight club. Yeah, yeah, really, really, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, that was the point made actually in our in our review, Neff Pierce's review. So I'm stealing that point from him. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a great moment, and uh, the second time I saw it was with the proper audience to this stuffy film critics, and yeah. uh, they got it. You know, that was a, a round of applause moment. Syed Bugaloo says, "Hi, small, probably pointless observation I saw when Selena was apprehended in the airport. There was an EasyJet airplane in the background. Who knew EasyJet could now fly to Gotham? It's four hundred pounds return, but it's a hundred pounds <laughs> for every additional suitcase. Well, Bruce Wayne has a lot of baggage, so." That's why oh, he's got no money left. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I imagine that might not cost. Yeah, I noticed that as well. Because that airport scene is filmed at, I guess, Stansted. Stansted. It's Stansted, isn't it? Yeah, yeah they shot at Stansted. Because I was looking at it going, yeah. I know that airport. I've, I've, I've trodden that, that faintly disappointing carpet before. <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Stansted. And I was just looking around. That's an easy jet plane, which is a bit of a, a I guess, a bit of a mistake for, for Nolan to keep in. i seen the film twice and I didn't spot it. Well, it's so, bright orange. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's hard. To miss. I wasn't looking for it. And also, I spotted another blooper the second time I saw the film. Uh, whenever Bruce is looking at uh, Selena Kyle's records at the beginning of the film, and uh, some newspaper headlines come up, mm. uh, and one of those headlines, the word heist is incorrectly spelled. Really? H I E S T is how they spell it. That was The Guardian. Yeah. <laughs> the Gotham Guardian. Mm. And Dan, you were saying earlier there's someone, a figure to keep your eye out for during the, the, uh, the battle on the street. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's because. Um, they shot that on Wall Street in New York and there's this particular tramp in New York who I think they just call him the radio guy or something like that who's he's this old man he's always got a little old school 80s radio around his neck and um, on Wall Street you know in New York they couldn't stop the public from going through they have right of way so they just let this 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 tramp wander through uh, he is in one shot as Bane's men are lining up on one side and the policemen are lining up on the other, you can see this sort of confused tramp staring around with a radio <laughs> around his neck. Adam Fox, who's presumably no relation of Lucius, or he might be, uh, asks a couple of plot hole questions. Why didn't they blow up the bomb right after Dr. Pavel arms it? You can explain that, because Bane's plot was to torture Batman yes. with the you know the, the six months of watching this and, yes. and not be able to save Gotham. Uh, the, do you remember the 60s Batman movie when Batman's trying to defuse a bomb and he's running around the, uh, he's running yeah, around well, the street? That's, 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 that's just like a favourite scene in that film. On the top of with, yes, with the, with the, ba- with the, the ducklings top. and yeah. the nuns, I would have loved to have seen a repetition of that. Well, actually, that's another scene in which yeah, yeah, the trilogy. Batman runs off with a bomb and you think he's dead. Oh my gosh. That's right. So, so Dark Knight Rises references the uh, original Batman movie. Oh, kapow! Who knew Chris Nolan had it in him? Mm. Do you think he's seen the 1966 Batman? Well, he actually, uh, not the last time I went to his edit suites, his, uh, his, his, his place in um, uh, in Hollywood, um, but uh, the, the time before, there was a poster for it, the original Batman hanging up. Really? In the reception area. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. Cool. Um, Adam Fox has another question. He says, why did the guys in the pit torture Bruce Wayne by showing him the TV and then help him heal and escape? Well, they weren't controlling the TV. They weren't controlling the TV. Who yeah. knows the mind of Tom Conti? <laughs> <laughs> Unfathomable. Yeah, that, that didn't make a whole world of sense because they were going on about, it's Bane's prison now. Yes. Make a great little sense. And uh, yeah, and suddenly they help him out and hang him off the ceiling and you think Bane if it's Bane's prison he'd mm. have installed some security cameras or <laughs> yes isn't there a kind of argument that, that, that pre- the reason why that's one of the worst prisons is because they, there's always hope of escape that's always there's always denied. hope of escape in a so prison. they obviously it's in the you know Bane or whoever runs the prison's interest to, to give people the idea that they could possibly get out by watching people trying to get out and then falling down again mm-hmm. the, the the thing about that is uh, I would if I was Bruce Wayne I'd take Tom Conti with me because that guy is he throws the 
wrote down. He's a medical miracle. Vertebrae hanging out of your <laughs> out of your back. No problem. I'll, I'll just punch, punch it, it back, back in, in. <laughs> and you're back on your feet within a month. Easy. No paralysis here. This podcast is very disrespectful. I'm not disrespectful, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> Can I just say, with the Bane voice, it was an interesting one, because everyone seems to have a different opinion of what it was. Half the office seemed to think it was a very public school-esque, posh English accent. I thought it was supposed to be a bit German, a bit Dutch, something like that, a bit, bit European. Mm. Um, Tom Hardy came out and said it was based on this uh, this bare-knuckle fighter. Uh, what was his name? I've got it written down. Bartley Gorman, who was apparently uh, Romany. Not not Mitt Romney, obviously, because that would be silly. But um, well, he's already associated with that yes, anyway. Indeed. He definitely uh, has a Romanian. Yeah. somebody he has whose a name originally comes from Romania. I can tell you. Well, there we so go. It's got know. a bit of a, a Dracul yeah. vibe to it. Your punishment must be much more severe. More severe. That's true. There is a, there is a Lugosi vibe going on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I just think he was he was older. That's what I liked about it. It was the voice of an older man because it's almost yes. a clue that Bane is an older man than we are expecting. Gotham's Interesting reckoning. that uh, Nolan dropped the whole Venom plot that you know, were, yeah. were Bane just has an venom injected into his yeah. into his body yeah because that's silly that is a bit silly and but he he relooped all the dialogue didn't he go through a point after people had seen the original footage by saying it's fine we're not changing it or am I making that up there was because he st- clearly did redo all the dialogue was it a statement release or was um, it just was it a rumour that's r- rumours going around because you yeah. can tell it was redone because you could understand Dan, what ca- he said call him call him now call him <laughs> call him back no, phone it was never officially confirmed by anybody I can only say that having seen the prologue and then having watched it again twice as part of the film it did seem clearer. higher in the mix oh it's much clearer not it's much, just, just higher in the mix that's all I will say but I, no one officially confirmed it either way I did not have any trouble understanding what he was saying in it actually no, maybe no, one line but then I, I struggled to hear a couple of lines of other characters but Bane I didn't have a problem with yeah, I think it was easier to understand in this film than the Scarecrow was in Batman Begins mm. yep I still have problems with some of his dialogue. Mm. Yeah. Uh, talking of Bane, I loved Aidan Gillen's small part in the film, in the prologue. Uh, his kind of cockiness and just the way he sort of stands with his hands on his hips and that stuff like that. I thought he was terrific. Yeah. He's great. He's really, great. really good. Um, I, I, one thing I didn't quite get was, I mean, this is a very bloodless film. A lot of people get killed in the film and you know, obviously to have a PG-13 rating, the same with The Dark Knight, uh, there's not a lot of blood being shown. But doesn't he kill the guy in the plane at the beginning of the film? But he fires the gun he to the side of... He pretends to no. kill them. He's pretending to kill them to make the other guys talk, which is why... Bane has that line he's wondering why you're shooting people before throwing them out of a plane oh uh, so he's, okay. he's CIA he's behaving right. I did not get he that he shoots the side of the head yep. <laughs> it's a, a point about Aidan Gillen though because obviously he's in The Wire he's from The Wire there's another actor from The Wire as well who appears in a small role Robert Wisdom Bunny yes who plays Bunny and uh, uh, Nolan is a fan of The Wire where does he appear the first general on the yeah. bridge when, yeah. when Bane's right hand man goes out and says you will help us keep all the people in Gotham or we will blow the place up. Oh, really? Do you think that's a sly in-joke that the guy who was responsible for Hamsterdam is <laughs> now responsible for uh, the new Hamsterdam? Yeah. Yeah. So is Nolan so also a fan of Stargate? The it's TV Christopher series. Judge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> He's um, called all the merchandise. I'm now going to be the lost. This is where James lived. James lived yes, in the Stargate shadows. And uh, Bane's yeah. right-hand man, the guy who obviously hands him over to Ed and Killam, is uh, What's-His-Chops from Jamie from Blue Bloods. Mm. <laughs> What's-His-Chops? What's-His-Chops, which I believe is his official IMDb <laughs> character name. Do we uh, uh, do we think there were too many characters in this? Do we think we needed Juno Temple as Selina Kyle's sidekick? I love I love the, the fact that the, the Nolan verse is so studded with... Mm. You know, it, it feels real and lived in. Hmm. Uh, you know, so there, there are like many characters everywhere. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, I quite liked it. You give it, given a, you know, it gives Lena Kyle a life beyond the film. I thought. I, I think there were there were there were hints that she was bisexual. That's what I. That's what I was about to say. Dan, Dan you read that into everything. Everyone's in fan fiction, some slash fiction on this. Haven't you, um, <laughs> Fifty Shades. No, of but I will. <laughs> Samantha France asks what are your thoughts on the ending with Bruce being with Selena in the end do you think the relationship was a little too predictable I like that relationship I really, totally really I liked that it was the relationship between Bruce and what's her name yeah um, Miranda, Miranda, Miranda Tate utterly random and forced that I, I thought there was a couple of scenes missing from that I thought I was quite surprised that suddenly you get getting a board together. meeting to shagging on the carpet it was mm. quite strange and uh, in retrospect you can see that she's playing him mm. but the fact that he can't mm. see that maybe. almost everything she says second time around is, is is very sinister. She's <laughs> yeah. always talking about do whatever's necessary by any means possible. Yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of like how could you not see this coming, Bruce? The world's greatest detective. Absolutely, but you know sometimes you can't see that which is too mm. close to you. Yeah, and he is vulnerable in this film. Yes. She, she does play on that. Yeah, mm. she plays on his vulnerability. I mean, you know, she picks up the picture of Rachel. She does. She? Um, uh, before seducing right him, right before seducing him, right before seducing yeah. him. But I, I, I like. I mean, the thing about you know, she's never called Catwoman in this film. But you know, mm. uh, the thing about Catwoman and Batman is there's traditionally always been a kind of Animal relationship chemistry. between them. And I've always been of the opinion that I always wanted those two to get together. They always, it always, she always seemed like the right choice in a weird way um, so I really like the fact that this particular take on the Bat legend ends with them getting together yeah and, and they had real chemistry together yeah. as well yeah. both in and out of their black tight leather costumes mm. yeah uh, speaking of costumes actually Chris Laverty who is who runs a fantastic blog called Clothes on Film uh, he has written a review of the film which he, he's one of the guys who believes that the ending was a dream but he, um, he makes an interesting point about Selena Kyle's costume at the very end of the movie if you read his review he basically says that throughout the movie she wears black but in the final final scene when, when Alfred sees them uh, at the restaurant in Florence she's wearing a blue dress and he thinks that's an indication that it's a dream I think it's the other way around she's living in Gotham she's surrounded by shadows she's, she does, she's not who she wants to be she wants to escape her old life it makes sense for her to wear black and then once she's in Florence she wears a blue dress because she's no longer Selena Kyle She's been given a clean slate. Mm. I agree. I, I honestly, if we were to give credence to this, frankly ridiculous dream idea, uh, it wouldn't <laughs> have been. It wouldn't have been Selena Kyle because that, yeah, as we said before, that doesn't that doesn't make any sense. True, but then it, who would have been Rachel, a, a random woman? Would he have dreamt that? It, Presumably a prostitute. Yeah. Presum- yes, <laughs> he's no money left, honestly, but it's still enough money it's to get Rome, to Florence. Really and to get how did he get to yeah. Florence? Hmm. Easy jet. <laughs> Easy jet. <laughs> From Gotham. Piloted to by Tom Conti. <laughs> there we go. That's the answer. Um, the 60 foot octopus. We're going to a race release now. The 60 foot what? octopus. What 60 foot? I missed uh, this, the, the, I must the, have gone to this. This guy has a real name. It is, it's the name of the guy who's asking the question. Oh, right. Not, not, not actually the point. question. Ah. Uh, he has a real name, but he wants to be known as a 60 foot octopus. He says, What's the significance of the autopilot? Uh, and could he escape the blast radius of six miles? Yes, he can. He's well, Batman. No, I mean, he, he, who says he was even in the bat when it flew over the bridge? Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, my wife has a theory that he, he bailed out over Gotham. Yeah. He would have done. He would have, yeah, he would have, have done. done. Yeah, otherwise but he'd have, then, have a long Because flight. there are a couple of shots of the bat hitting buildings. It looks like maybe no one's piloting it properly. Possibly. Ah. Yes. Possibly. Interesting. I was, I, was, yeah. I was wondering when I was watching that scene. Well, why, as he takes why off. it was kind of. But when does he do it? When does he do it? 
But then again, he's Batman. He can he's appear Batman. and disappear yeah. at a moment's notice. It's the answer to all questions. He's Batman. Yeah. Mm. Very, very quickly. Um, Simon Cliff says, I didn't feel Commissioner Gordon's story was wrapped up particularly well. I disagree. But the blink and you'll miss a subplot about his wife leaving him was a mistake in my view, given how his family have featured prominently in both previous outings. I really like that little touch. That little yeah, me throw too. Away, that, yeah. it's, 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 it's the cost. Yeah, it's he the made cost it. of, of, of fighting for Gotham. And, and also a cost of the choice he made eight years ago. Yeah. And uh, and and how it's it's it, it's hit him hard emotionally. Oh, also, if you think if you you're Commissioner Gordon's wife, and because of him you'd been kidnapped with your children by a man with half his face melted off who was going to kill them. <laughs> I think there might be a little bit of post-traumatic kind of relationship problem thing going on there. There might be. There might be. And maybe Batman purists, uh, comic book purists, are a little bit annoyed about that because, you know, obviously Barbara Gordon in the comic books becomes a pretty significant character and that doesn't really allow her the chance to do so. But comic book on. purists think that Clay, Clay, was it Clayface and Clayface. Man Bat should be in this film, well, so yeah. there you go. Uh, one comic book purist in particular. Yes, well, the whole thing about the sewer. So, Commissioner Gordon goes down into the sewer, is shot, and discovers the bad guy's lair, mm. and he's completely disregarded by the rest of the police force. Yeah, I think we've established that, you know, to, to, to paraphrase uh, the strokes, uh, uh, Gotham City cops ain't too smart. Right. <laughs> yeah. Also, I think they want to turn a blind eye. He's stuff. the police commissioner. Do you yeah, not think they're kind of obliged to listen when he says there's like a gang of mercenaries living under the city? Yeah, but Nestor Carbonell's mayor just doesn't want to hear any of that stuff. They've had eight years of, of relatively little crime in Gotham and they, they don't want to hear that there's a, a master maniac living under the sewers and building a small see, private army. He wants to watch the football game. He wants to watch the football game. I, I really liked all the stuff with the, the, the concrete. I think the, these movies, um, they, yes, they may have plot holes. Not as many plot holes as The Dark Knight, though. Uh, but they're really intricately plotted. The whole thing with the concrete and explosives being layered yeah. in the concrete and dig it and I thought it was really really nicely done final question comes from Liam Oram who asks very simply how does Bane eat smoothie yeah <laughs> each one of those yeah. little funnels has milkshake yeah the smoothie goes in and he has he has uh, he has strawberry smoothie in one and he has uh, I don't know I can't, I can't even think of smoothie flavours now but give me a banana and strawberry yes. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Solved. I think maybe he takes the mask off to eat. Do you think? I have think a bit extremely painful for, for you. you. <laughs> He's turned into Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, so I think, yeah. My bane is essentially Jar Jar Binks with a little bit of Keith Lemon thrown in. And uh, Nix is Sean Connery. Nix, Nix so. is the best one in the, uh, in the office. Do I don't think so. I think mine is. Okay. Let the games begin. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's, That's pretty good. good. I've been working on for a week now. Let the games begin. That's terrible. Else, you're That's putting your hands over your mouth. Nick That's doesn't decent. put his hands over his mouth, which is even more impressive. <laughs> uh, James, your punishment must be much more severe. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> Actually, that was that really is, good. That's pretty good. Uh, and no, on I, was, I, was, I was just talking to you. That was. <laughs> okay. yeah. It's a whole bald, muscly. Yeah, thing. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Terrifying. Muscle. On that. On that. Well, he's kind of muscly for a geek. He's quite muscly. <laughs> compared to you, he is. Com yeah. Compared to me, yeah. But compared to me, yeah. Thor of Heard is muscly. <laughs> anyway, that's all the time we have for our Dark Knight Rises spoiler podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Any more questions, do send them in. We'll try and address them in next week's podcast proper. Do download the other Dark Knight Rises uh, podcast with the Christopher Nolan interview and have a have a good time, Gotham. See you later. <laughs>